Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. We have been talking about what Dr. John Gottman calls the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. These four horsemen make up what he's concluded is the second of six signs of a possible impending divorce. We have talked about horseman number one, criticism, horseman number two, contempt, and horseman number three, defensiveness. And we were just in the middle of number four when our time ran out. Horseman number four is stonewalling. Eventually, one partner tunes out. He or she acts like they couldn't care less about what you're saying. They are physically there, but they seem disinterested and tuned out. They're there, but they're not really there. It's like talking to a stone wall. Now, most stonewallers, about 85% of them are men. Feeling overwhelmed by emotions, they start withdrawing by presenting a stone wall response. They try to keep their faces immobile, avoid eye contact, hold their necks rigid, and avoid nodding their heads or making the small sounds that would indicate that they are listening. Stonewallers often claim they are trying not to make things worse, but they do not seem to realize that stonewalling itself is a very powerful act. It conveys disapproval, icy distance, and smugness. Now, there's another area of mutual understanding that we need to be aware of concerning stonewalling. In my opinion, a big factor contributing to the 85% number being men is understanding how men handle stress. In general, men handle stress by withdrawing, emotionally and sometimes physically. And depending on their personality profile, They may be what I call a super-withdrawer. Now, this is the total opposite of how women generally handle stress. Women handle stress by talking about it. When men are in a stressful situation, talking is the last thing they want to do. They just want to withdraw. A word of advice, men. When you're stressed out and feel the need to withdraw, say something like this. I've got too much emotional investment in this situation to talk about it right now. But you need to know that we're okay. You need to reassure your wife that the relationship is okay, even though there is a contentious issue you're still dealing with. Stonewalling need not mark the end of a marriage. But once routine interactions have deteriorated to this extent, The marriage will be very fragile and will require a good deal of hard work to save. Keep in mind that anyone may stonewall or become defensive, contemptuous, or critical. Even with very happy couples, these behaviors happen occasionally during an intense marital conflict. You know, those times that I call times of heated fellowship. The real danger here is letting these ways of interacting become a habit. Conflict is a social taboo, even considered morally wrong by some. 
The assumption that conflict doesn't belong in healthy relationships is based partly on the idea that love is the polar opposite of hate. But emotional intimacy involves feeling of both love and hate, of wanting to be close and needing to be separate, of agreeing and disagreeing. The absence of fights does not bode well for most marriages. The parents say that partners who refuse to accept conflict as a part of marriage miss opportunities to creatively challenge and be challenged by each other. They also risk more negative consequences. Unresolved, unhandled conflict acts as a cancer that erodes the passion, intimacy, and commitment of marriage. Couples who do not make an issue of things often resort to anger substitutes rather than dealing directly with their emotions. They will overeat, get depressed, gossip, or suffer physical illness. While these substitutes may be more socially acceptable than the direct expression of anger, they can result in what experts call a devitalized marriage, where false intimacy is the most couples can hope for. A typical evening in the home of a non-fighting couple who has been suppressing anger for many years might look something like this. He says as he yawns, How was your day, dear? And she pleasantly replies, Okay, how was yours? Oh, you know, the usual. Anything special you want to do later? Oh, I don't know. Nothing more meaningful is exchanged for the rest of the evening because the energy these two use to repress their anger drains their relationship of vitality. They evade conflict altogether by gunny-sacking, keeping their grievances secret while tossing them into an imaginary gunny-sack that grows heavier and heavier over time. And when these marital complaints are toted and nursed along quietly in a gunny sack for any length of time, they make a dreadful mess when they burst. According to the parrots, the point is that marital conflict is a necessary challenge to be met rather than avoided. Let me say it again. Conflict is natural in intimate relationships. Once this is understood, Conflict no longer represents a crisis, but an opportunity for growth. David and Vera Mace are prominent marriage counselors. According to them, on the day of marriage, people have three kinds of raw material to work with. First, there are things you have in common, the things you both like. Second are the things in which you are different, but the differences are complementary. And third, there are the differences that are not at all complementary and cause most of your conflict. Every married couple has differences that are not complementary, lots of them. And as you and your partner move closer together, those differences become more prominent. You see, conflict can be the reason of growing closer together. Conflict is the price you pay for deepening intimacy. But when you learn to fight fair, your marriage can flourish. Also, if you intentionally engage in exercises that increase your mutual understanding, 
you'll take the edge off many of your differences that are not complementary. If you don't have mutual understanding of these differences, you'll make assumptions and assign motives as to why they are occurring. And when you assign motive based on feelings rather than mutual understanding, you'll have a much more difficult time dealing with the non-complementary differences. Well, suppose there was a formula for a happy marriage. Would you follow it? Well, of course. Who wouldn't? Especially if the formula was backed up by hard evidence that proved its success. Psychologists Howard Markman and Scott Stanley at the University of Denver have done some interesting research. They have concentrated on how couples argue, not whether a couple argues. And based on their findings, they can predict with 80% accuracy who will be divorced six or seven years after marrying. Many people seem to get meaner and more dangerous the longer their grievances are bottled up. Don't allow yourself to bury something that irritates you. Repressed irritations have a high rate of resurrection. Happy couples may disagree vehemently, but they don't shut their partners out. When one partner brings up an issue, the other listens attentively. Remember, we listen in two ways, to understand or to respond. From time to time, the listener may even paraphrase what the other says to make sure the message is understood. They are also comfortable taking a brief time out to gain some objectivity and perspective in the heat of battle, as long as they agree on a time to come back and talk it through. Remember one of the basic rules of communication. Until the emotions of the situation are dealt with, the facts don't matter. Love may be blind, but for many partners, marriage is a magnifying glass. Couples who are virtually certain to break up can't seem to find a relaxed, reasonably efficient way of figuring out how to settle differences as small as which movie to see or whose friends to visit. Eventually, their inability to negotiate does them in, no matter how much they are in love with each other. So, do as the experts advise. Choose your battles carefully. You've probably seen the grant me the wisdom to accept the things I cannot change prayer on plaques and posters. It's over-familiar, but it's true. One of the major tasks of marriage is learning what can and should be changed. Habits of nagging, for example, and what should be overlooked the way a spouse squeezes the toothpaste tube. The parrots say they often tell couples that about 90% of the issues they bicker about can probably be overlooked. It's easy to criticize one's mate. I know I've done my share of yapping about minor infractions, but thankfully I've learned not to sweat the small stuff. This simple advice can keep you from ruining a Friday evening or an entire vacation. So before you gripe about the way your partner made the bed, or cleared the table, or left a light on, ask yourself if it's worth it. Also, as you are choosing your battles, it's always helpful to consider whether the issue you are about to gripe about is related to a gender difference, 
or one of your unspoken rules or unconscious role expectations that we've talked about on previous broadcasts. Well, our time is gone for today. And as I close, I want to encourage you once again to attend one of the many Bible-believing and teaching churches here in the Treasure Valley. If you don't have a home church, we'd love to have you visit us. Our services at Cloverdale Church of God are at 9.30 and 11 a.m., and we're located at 3755 South Cloverdale Road. That's between Victory and Amity. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening, and be blessed.